Well, welcome to Dragonheart. I am joined by Matt Griffiths, Bill Long, and Neil Williams. Bill, buzzing after that 5 0. Yeah, fantastic win. Um, just the tonic we needed, wasn't it, uh, Neil? Definitely so. You know, they've played to their strengths on Saturday. Um, whole all-round team performance. I thought they tacked well, they pressed well, and we saw five goals, which is how we finished off, you know, last season. They were dominant, you know. Made something in looking on Saturday and hopefully may continue. And I'm in a fair amount of discomfort. So I just drank some water and it went up my nose. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> on the positive side, I also found out at the weekend that Neil only realised after our last episode that these were out as videos as well as podcasts. <laughs> Do you know what? I had some, when I was leaving the ground on Saturday, somebody said it was Neil off Dragonheart. You're the one that was playing around with your phone and computer or whatever. <laughs> brilliant. Well, what else has been brilliant is Wrexham on Saturday. We're going to break that down. We're also going to touch on the two games previous, but not, but not too much. We've got Welcome to Wrexham, which is coming out I believe, if you listen today, which is Friday, it'll be coming out the day before, so Thursday on Disney+, Plus, I believe. So we're going to have a general chit-chat about that. We're going to talk about Luke, Luke Young, company, company did a little bit of an interview. Yeah, let's not waste any more time. It's time for Dragonheart. Hi, guys. I'm Dominic Bowes, and uh, this is Dragonheart. Young signals, Hayden's getting the shirt pulled already. It's swung over his head, headed towards goal by Davis. Yes! 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 That was a beautifully worked set piece. A ball to beyond the far post. An unmarked header back into the goal mouth. Didn't catch who scored it. I didn't see who scored it either. I think it was Mullen. In this, I think Mullen squatted down and headed it in. But let's say before we start. Well, it was swept in by Young, lovely move, Davis left the goal, put it across, and it was Paul Mullen, of course. Yes. yes. <laughs> Why did I even ask? Young Mullen squatted down and got a good header on. Oh, oh. the defender's tackled! Mullen's one-on-one one with the keeper, and he scoops it. Oh. oh, that's a horrible miss. I can't believe he's missed it by that much. Oh, that's outrageous. Why did he not just take the keeper on, go round him and just tap him in the back of the net rather than trying to scoop it over him? I don't know. I'm a long-distance doctor. You see, I, I specialise in, in revision technique. Andy, as we all know, is a big expert on Bob Marley, so between us, we can advise on cramming, jamming and lamming. Long clearance for Palmer. Oh, the defender makes a hash of that. Mullen nearly latched onto it on the edge of the did area. Did we have to pay for that one? Pay for what? <laughs> So Howard, on the edge of his box, stands it up. Mason got shape now. Palmer so is up against Ello. Takes it on the chest, drives into the box. Ello goes down. Palmer snaps it home, oh, and a foul is given. For what? Well, for what? The foul on Ello is why the rest is allowed the goal. It's six to six to one after isn't the other. Yeah, let's have a look on the monitor. It'll be interesting, but certainly Toza drove it in nicely. The, the fact we've only got one is down to us not being clinical enough as Palmer gets it well. Nod's edge in the area. Shot edge to the one. Yeah! What a goal! Yes! What a strike by Jordan, Jordan Davis! Davis. Yeah. That was sensational! Like I said, we're not clinical enough. Palmer nods it down. Davis running onto it. First time left footed as the ball was rising into the bottom right corner. Oh, that was epic. What a goal! It just looked a bit odd. I don't know if Jordan Davis is left-footed or not. But oh, he, yes, he's very left-footed. Uh, it just seemed a bit strange the way he's contact with it, but it flew in the bottom corner. It was a beautiful strike, wasn't it? Uh, he just had to sort of check his stride to gallop onto it. But what a hit by Jordan Davis. Palmer got up well against Ellul, beat him again, maybe climbing, to be fair. And I Davis on the edge of the D. Oh, what a hit, edge of the D. Just hit across it, outside the foot, so that it comes across and inside the bottom right corner. I was waiting well, left for the, side ref, of the D. ref to pull it up, actually, for the for the climbing, basically. But uh, yeah. perhaps he thinks he should have given us the first goal when Palmer was disallowed. So, 
Maybe so, because to be fair, that, that oh. makes so much a foul. As Hayden brilliantly steps in, wins the ball, beats a man and finds James Jones. Mullerman to through the middle. Jones might hit this. Oh, he hesitates and oh, oh dear. Passes it straight to Woods. And here's Hayden now. Hayden under pressure, sure being bold, wrestles past his man, that's good. Finds Ford. Mullen's going over the top, Ford sees it, floats it, that's a great ball, Mullen! One-on-one with the keeper, on his left foot, takes a touch, throws it, good save with the feet by Marsen. He could have a hat-trick, couldn't he? He could well have done, yep. It was a great ball by Ford. Ball is swept in nicely, Davis misses it, it's in! That might be an own goal. Davis attacked it in the post, didn't quite make contact, but it hit somebody. Might have been hit, or is it Hayden? I don't know, is he celebrating it or not? It was a great corner by Wrexham. And the scoreline is now starting to look like it should. Yes. But they're all going to congratulate Young, and I think that's an own goal. Hayden attacked it, tried to stretch his foot round his man. And he missed it, didn't he? Sure. But definitely wasn't Jordan Davis. No. no. That's who the announcer has said. Yeah. Davis was attacking near post. Maybe he got a flick on it, but he didn't head it near goal. We're waiting for the replay on the monitor here. Davis attacked it. He did get a head on it, and it hit. I think it's it's um, Alessandro. I think. Yeah. It's number 14 yeah. for them who heads it home. Yeah. He rolls out to Vincent, who's playing on the left. Deacon has gone into an attacking position as it's given away by Vincent. And here's now a chance forward running at the keeper. Goes round him, tight angle though, left the ball behind. And it's hacked clear. Swing got something on it. That was good work by the keeper then, wasn't it? Uh, Away swinger, toes is under it, it bounces over his head at the far post and he's gone to the wing to retrieve it and now he's taking on his man. He goes to the corner flag and knocks it off his man for another corner. That's good play, isn't it? Yeah. Go well toes us today. And he just worked around the side of his man, knocked it off him, Patterson it was. Toes has been solid today, because I yeah. thought towards the end of the last season he was looking just occasionally he's touched with four. And maybe the start of this too, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's really looked solid, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. So Wrexham have got everyone in the six-yard box, apart from Hayden on the penalty spot and Jones on the edge. Young sweeps it beyond, Mullins pulled out, heads it in the goal mark, oh, that's handball, surely. Yeah, yeah penalty. penalty. It was nodded down by Mullen. Palmer standing in the six-yard box, back to goal, flicked it on, the defender behind him had his hands up. So Mullen has spotted it up. And waits for the go-ahead. Maxim players taking liquid in. There goes the whistle, Mullen runs up, drills it. Yeah! 4-0, Mullen's got a second. Well, unfortunately, last week we couldn't do a Dragon Heart, but we're going to touch on the Yeovil and Chesterfield games just a little bit before we talk about Maidstone. We don't think we need to talk about these two games too much because they've been talked about enough. But quickly, Mark, the the story for me, Yeovil, as me, Neil and Bill went, was the conditions were extreme. And, and I think if it was a bit rainier, a bit colder, I think we might have got something out of that. A hundred percent agree. I, you know, it, it was a bit stop-start, wasn't it, our performance? We didn't really get fluency going, but I think, to be fair, that's because it was ridiculously hot. The players put in good shifts considering that, but we never really got moving in the way that we should. And there was a reaction to the performance on social media. Not a massive reaction, but, you know, some people were concerned I got to say, I did not feel concerned at all because, you know, despite the fact that we didn't find our rhythm, and, you know, we're not going to suddenly blow everyone away. There are going to be games like that. But despite us not being able to find our rhythm, and like I said, I think the conditions, the main reason for that, we would have still won that game were it not for an absolute worldy 
by a player who, <laughs> from the first two games of the season, has done one thing, that. Um, yeah. It just was totally out of the blue. And, and credit to him, it was brilliant. But it was unfortunate. So we would have been a bit under par and uh, and won. And uh, yeah. a win at Yeovil was a good result. Um, I do admit, though, Bill, that the defeat at Chesterfield was... Uh, <laughs> Was something that understandably uh, provoked a bit of rage on social media. Yeah, it was a it was um, a, a tough one to take. That wasn't it. it. It wasn't a fantastic performance in in any any way, shape, or form. Not the kind of performances that we're really used to. Um, I could see like how some sometimes fi- uh, subsequent fixtures make the uh, you know the earlier fixtures in a chain seem worse than they actually are because they come in in, in sequence. I don't think Yeovil was too bad, and I think we'll actually look at a point, you know, back at a point like that in you know the rep towards the end of the season as not too bad. But that 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 Chesterfield performance was poor. But at the same time, how many times have, have we been at the race course and seen Wrexham batter the team that goes to get promoted from pillar to post? You know, and you think, oh, we look good this year. I, I'm not saying that Chesterfield don't look good, you know, but we've had the seasons where we've beaten Luton, we've beaten. We beat Crawley, I think, at home, or we at least got a draw against them. Yeah. We beat a few. We beat a few other teams that got promoted and 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 looked much better than them on the day. But it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, isn't it, Neil? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, going back to the Oval game, I, yeah, I think the Oval could have nicked that. We were very poor in the second half, and you know, conditions were exactly the same for both teams. Um, yes, it was hot as we were there, um, but I just didn't think we performed at all. You know, there was no cohesion cohesion between the team. Um, yeah, and I, I think we were lucky to come away with a point. Chesterfield, why we mixed it up a bit and, you know, dropped Luke Young, which is our, for me, is one of our key midfielders. I don't know why they dropped him, but uh, yeah, poor performance. But it's only beginning of the season, guys, and it was three games in. Um, Saturday, we bounced back. Um, so I, I, I haven't got many concerns at the moment. If we carry on playing like we did on Saturday, we will be difficult to beat. Um, but my concern is our away, away games at the moment. We seem to be not travelling very well as a team and doing very well at away games. I mean, Woking will be a test on Saturday when we go there. So hopefully things will change. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. The away form is reasonably concerning if you take into account, you know, Dagenham last season, you know, the carrying on the away form. But I, I honestly, again, I don't think it's much to worry about. I think Yeovil... It was extreme conditions, and me, Bill, and Neil uh, will know firsthand because we were standing in the stands, and it was hard enough just to stand and watch the game of football. Never mind play with no shelter; uh, the, the roofs were, weren't covering the pitch. So, uh, Yeovil is one of them. Chesterfield was poor, but Chesterfield are also a very good side. So sometimes you can't you know you can't win all these games. You're going to lose. To games to top quality sides, which Chesterfield are. The one thing I was a bit annoyed about the most about Chesterfield was, funnily enough, you couldn't write it. <laughs> the Monday and the Tuesday, I was working in a Chesterfield fan's house, <laughs> uh, plastering. Uh, and of course, on the Monday, I was giving it the big un, <laughs> saying we're going to smash it, nothing's going to stop us this year. <laughs> and then I woke up and I didn't want to go to work on Wednesday morning. So, <laughs> yeah, that that... That, that'll that teach me to keep my mouth shut. And I actually didn't know there was Chesterfield fans in North Wales, so you learn something new every every day. So you do a deliberately bad job on the last day, just to spite him. <laughs> I just punch through the wall. Good last so There you go. <laughs> Isn't it Middlesbrough, wasn't it, that when they built the Arch of Wembley, that the firm they got was in the northeast, and a lot of them were Middlesbrough fans, and one of them put... I'm maybe getting the details just like mixed up. One of them put a Middlesbrough shirt into the section that joins the two bits together, so there'll always be a Middlesbrough shirt hovering over Wembley. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. So I hope he buried a, 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 a tick shock shirt underneath his yeah. uh, carpet when he wasn't looking. Uh, yeah, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I just uh, printed off the Dragon Heart logo and just God, glued it with the strongest glue. Straight onto the wall. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to Maidstone. Saturday, a game I was quite anxious about, to be fair. Uh, for many reasons, really. Because I thought, if we don't win in front of the owners today, I th- I thought, on that day, I thought that the fans would really start getting 
angry, maybe rightly so as well. And I, I watch quite me and you both, Mark, watch a bit of Maidstone before the game. That they're, they're a bit of a tricky outfit, aren't they? They're not as terrible as a lot of people make them out to be. Well, I said, I mean, Phil Parkson predicted it. He said they're they're very attack minded, and I did wonder whether they'd alter their tactics playing as ours because you look at their three games so far and they they got four points like we had out of the first three games. You know, two of them against fellow promoted sides and one against Altrincham, who are, you know, decent, but you know, let's be honest, they'll be aiming for mid-table. And they were very attacking in all those games, got some reward, and you sort of thought, okay, they've shown they've got something going forwards. Will they attempt to do that at our place? Uh, the thing is, they did, and I think that was a huge mistake. And I said in the, the Final Whistle podcast that Hakim Hayretin, their manager, uh, was having a go at them. Uh, for their performances at the race course, well, f- firstly, I, I think he should look at himself because they they came at us and they were blown out of the water. They should have been more cautious. They'd have so many gaps. They had the same approach as when they were home to Dorking in midweek. You know, Dorking are going well, but we're, we're not Dorking. At, you know, the race course is a very different proposition. And they, I thought they were quite naive, and I think the manager sets them up like that. I also think it's a bit rich when the manager calls his players out after a match when he missed the game four days earlier because he went to Cyprus for a family wedding. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I think he's got a little bit of a nerve myself. But, yeah, they had something <laughs> about them, but they, they, they came at us, and I think that was naive. They should, have, they should have protected themselves and worked their way into the game, I think. I get that, but that's all hindsight, isn't it, yeah. in, in a lot of ways? Uh, I don't think they have the personnel to go out and protect and sit back because I think if we they were to sit back, I think we would have got even more goals. I, I, I think they're one of those sides that, you know, a bit like Leeds and the Bielsa where they just have to go for it and try and score more goals on the other side. But we just completely outmatched them every play on the pitch, didn't we, Neil? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Mark said, you know, because you know, I think that's the way they, they play. You know, they're a very attacking team and they may carry on doing that for the rest of the season. But that played into our hands. It gave our players space in the midfield and we were able to play the ball around and, and put the ball over the top for, for Mullins to run onto. I mean, it should have been double that on, on Saturday. It should have been 10 goals. You know, the number of chances we missed. I thought they were absolutely superb on Saturday. Back to their old ways of the end of last season when we were, you know, totally dominated games and were freely scoring goals. Um, so yeah, I, I think they played into our hands, and, and as Mark said, and just created a lot of space for us to run, run into. And and the team put in a shift. To be fair to them, every player on that pitch of Wrexham put a shift in. Um, and I came away more than happy, like yourself. Always a bit concerned before the match because newly promoted team, they always come up with a bit of a uh, bit of drive and a bit of enthusiasm because they've just got promoted. So uh, so yeah, I was a bit concerned, but uh, there were no match for Wrexham on Saturday whatsoever, and. Hopefully, you know, it continues as, as the season goes on and we play exactly the same same game, same game plan, same team. Keep the same team. Keep that winning team on there all the yeah. time. Yeah. Bill, following on from that then, is that the best midfield we we have to offer at the moment? That's that's a tough question. That's a really tough question. I'm, I'm going to uh, be awkward and say yes and no. <laughs> I think, yes, it is because they're familiar with each other. So it's the best that we have right now. Whether after, uh, you know, halfway through the season or or two-thirds of the way through the season when the players had a bit more time to gel with each other or, you know, say Elliot Lee gets a bit more game time, Tom O'Connor comes back into the side. I I don't... It's too too early to say, but they're the best option we have available at the moment. Um... Oh, yeah, I, f- I think it probably is. I don't think on, on, on ability it necessarily is, but on, on the cohesion that we've seen, definitely. What do you think, Mark? I think it was a smart move by Parkinson to do do that because I know we had a costly stutter at the end of the season, but we were very, very good last season and we had that midfield and the, the whole system had really gelled and everything they were doing. And it was there were lots of passages of play that were very familiar, weren't they, as the season wore on? You knew where James Jones was going to go when uh, 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 Bryce was Anna cut inside. It, it was all very automatic and it was good. And I think that, I mean, let's be honest, if we'd done badly against Maidstone, Parkinson would have been under intense pressure. And I think it was quite smart 
to go with the setup that he knows works and which consistently stuck goals past teams like Maidstone. So I thought that was clever. But you're quite right to mention Lee and O'Connor. I mean, those two guys haven't dropped down the divisions to sit on our bench. And Parkinson hasn't bought them to sit on our bench. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be some points where surely they'll come into play, whether it's a case of just bedding in the different system that they use to exploit Lee a bit more before they use him, whether it's trying to get him match fit with reserve games, perhaps, or whether it's by doing what Neil has said they shouldn't do and rotating. It'd be interesting to see how we approach this. Well, yeah, following from that then, Bill, is... From watching Saturday and then watching Tuesday, I agree with Neil about the rotation, but do you rotate against weaker sides or would you just rotate all the time to see who's fit and who's well? Um, <clears throat> it's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, I, I think to sort of draw parallels, if you look at the 98-point season, you'd probably argue that our best midfield that year was Fowler, Keats and Harris, but some of our best performances in you know, like say playing against Brentford was when Jamie Tolley started. So to to last the whole season, you need to have all of your, your midfielders. It's, it's such an important position, centre midfielder, especially when you're playing with free midfield. You need all of them to be on form. Um, I think the it, it'd be tempting to say rotate for weaker games, but then we've played we played a weak opposition with what you would consider our most settled midfield and gone and battered them. Maybe that would have been the opportunity to try Leon O'Connor out, but ultimately we got the result. So it's a it's a tough one, really, isn't it? What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I, I personally I would stick with our strongest team all the time. And I think I said to Mark before the game on Saturday, yeah, start with our, our strongest lineup what we finished with last season. As many players as we had last season and, and integrate the, the newer players coming in as and when needed, you know. Um maybe injuries or suspensions and bring them in. And as Mark said, they'll, they'll get match fit during the reserve games they play. But uh, I, I, I'm all for, for keeping the same team on the pitch all the time, especially for winning and playing well like we did on Saturday. I wouldn't change a thing for Sat- a Wilkins game. I'd start as we you know started on Saturday. And then, you know, he had the chance on Saturday because we were doing so well. He's bring these fringe players in, the players he's brought in and bring them on for the last 20 minutes. Give them a run round, but They've got to work into how we play as a team. And I think that's what maybe they're struggling to do at the moment and seeing how we're playing. So, Mark, carry on from that then. Would you keep the same team from Saturday to play Woking this Saturday? I respect the idea of rotation. So if Parkinson has a plan, you know, I respect that. Gut feeling is I would because we were down after Chesterfield and then that team performed on Saturday. This is a big run of five games. We've won the first one heavily. Next is what on paper looks like the toughest of them, a way to walking. Uh, if we can keep the momentum going from Saturday, that's great. And then we've got a whole midweek game when maybe we can rotate a bit. Uh, so I'd be inclined to pick roughly the same team. I mean, I, I can I can understand arguments maybe for the odd alteration here there, but essentially I think I'd go the same for Woking. Then I'd maybe consider, all right, who looks a bit jaded after Saturday? Who can I rotate in on the Tuesday? I mean, we, we've Monday, got the we've got, a, we've got a game on Monday, Bank Holiday Monday against Gateshead, haven't we? It's been shifted to the Tuesday. Has it? Okay, so, so yeah, so it's an extra day of um, leeway. Both our bank holiday games, we've moved to the Tuesday. And I was quite interested in that because it said I... in the club websites that the National League give permission for this to happen. And I'm thinking, is that a new thing? Because previously, we've always played on a bank, bank holiday. Yeah. I totally get moving it um, from the point of view of playing two games in three days. I know it's tradition, but it does seem a bit daft in terms of tiring players out. And also because at the moment we can afford to say that because we're guaranteed sellout crowds. So a, a bumper bank all day crowd is no longer an issue for us, is it? We're gonna we're gonna sell out. I'd assume against Gated on the Tuesday. So uh, I I think we're right to do that. But yeah, I, I remember we got the best sports science in the division by a mile. So we, they they also have access to things that we can't see. It might be. They was seeing that Luke Young's numbers were quite low on the Monday after playing. Oh, sorry, on the Wednesday after Chesterfield, and they felt maybe it'd be wise just to give him a rest for a game. I don't know. No, we're, after, 
after the, the Yeovil game, I mean, when he'd been running around in the heat. Maybe so, maybe not. I don't know. Didn't work out right, but... You, you never know. He might have had a bit of heat stroke or something, mightn't he? It yeah. was that hot and the sun was that, uh, that glaring. It was... It's... 21. It does go to show how much we were missing Luke Young on, uh, at the Chesterfield game, though, doesn't it? He, he, he had a fantastic performance on, on yeah. Saturday. He bossed it, didn't he? He was brilliant. Mm. Who, who was man of the match on radio commentary? Mullen. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, Luke Young won man of the match, uh, voted by the match sponsor, which uh, is surprising. Well, it says a lot how to how good Luke Young played when Mullen had a hat-trick. Doesn't it really? That people are still thinking Luke Young deserved man of the match. Of course, they, they could have been sarcastically picking him just to say to Parkinson, pick him in future. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess we'll yeah. talk about that. So I remember a, a few years ago, I'm sure it was under, was it Flynn or Saunders? I think it was Saunders. Um, he brought off a player who seemed to be playing well. The, the team played, I can't remember what the game was at all, but we lost at home to someone that he wouldn't expect us to. We played really badly, and he took off a player who seemed to be doing well, and the sponsor, after about only about 50 minutes, um, felt 5-0. <laughs> and um, the sponsors sarcastically named that player as Mario the Match as a two-fingers up to Saunders rather than, I think, anything else. Right. <laughs> and yeah. quiz question, which player did Dean Keats have to substitute because of Sunstroke? I can't remember. <laughs> no. Ollie Marks. Remember Ollie Marks? Very fair centre-back. <laughs> Very fair head. And the heat didn't do him much good. But Bromley, last away game of the season, if I remember correctly, he was boiling hot and he didn't last much into the second half, bless him. <laughs> well, it's that fair skin. I know what that's about. <laughs> you can't put sun cream on every half hour like I was doing at Yeovil. Where, that's where tough going, you? yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's go back to the Maidstone game. One person we haven't talked about is Super Paul Mullin. Bill, he was outstanding on that day, wasn't he? Oh, he's just absolutely incredible, isn't he? I mean, we may as well just call it Mullin Heart at the moment because it's just every week there just seem to he, he, even even when we don't when he doesn't score, he just looks fantastic. I mean, listen to your final whistle podcast, Mark, and. I think you're right to point out that Ollie Palmer's playing really well at the moment, even though we can't quite bag a goal. But it's only a matter of time, isn't it? And and when you've got Mullin scoring three, it doesn't matter. If, you know, if, if Ollie Palmer doesn't score all year, as long as Paul Mullin keeps that rate of scoring up, who cares? It's We're winning and he's scoring goals. Mark, anything to add on that? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. They're a great combination, aren't they? We're talking about rotation. We're not going to rotate those two very much, I don't think. I don't think they'd be happy if they were rotated, but you saw how upset Palmer was when he got subbed. I don't mean in a sort of uh, way of showing dissent to the manager, just you can see he's burning up because he wants to score goals and he hasn't yet this season. But he's playing very well. He bullied the centre-backs. You can imagine in the changing room, the manager tossing the coin to decide which centre-back he was going to sub at half-time because Palmer had bullied both of them, hadn't he? But Muller... Yeah. Again, he's missed two great chances in the first half. Doesn't put him off. He keeps going. And uh, Neil and I, we were talking beforehand, saying we were surprised that we haven't had, didn't have a hat-trick last season and Mullin was the player we were thinking of most. And then, lo and behold, he went and delivered. And maybe the first of many. Yeah, he could have had a double hat-trick, I think, on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. The number of chances he missed. <laughs> he was useless, wasn't he? He, he, he was he was he was excellent. Uh, any other notable notable things to talk about? Any other notable performances? I've got one off the top of my head that I currently I enjoyed. Go on. Uh, it's when uh, Mason brought Alibi on, who's the ex-Chester mm. absolute tank of a man, mm. and how Max Cluworth. Com- I mean, you know, they obviously said Alibi go to Max Cluworth. He's the one you can bully on that back three. And how Max Cluworth just completely outclassed him. He couldn't. Mm. Alibi couldn't get past him once. He uh, Max Cluworth was winning everything in the air. Uh, he was just showing the, how much of a better footballer he is. And, and I, honestly, Max Cluworth, I think, can go very far. I think he could go straight to the championship or League One. And there's probably clubs looking at him already. Mark, it's a little Max Cluworth segment for me. What what do you what do you think of his performance? Well, I mean, we, we know he reads the game well and he made lots of good interceptions before Alibi came on. Alibi, who, of course, is the inspiration 
for the cockney knees up. My old man's a bin lorry. He's absolutely massive, isn't he? Yeah, um, huge. And you think, okay, the way he tried to pin Clueworth, he was clearly trying to turn it into a physical contest because Clueworth had read the game so much better than their strikers. No issue. Clueworth was beating yeah. him in the air. The physical thing didn't phase him. You know, teams keep trying that. Occasionally, they get some joy out of him, but generally, they don't. He's he's an exciting project, a, pro, a prospect, I beg your pardon. And God, he's keeping Tunnicliffe out of the team. And Tunnicliffe's a major signing. I mean, he's a cracking player. He's come down from having a good season in the Football League. And Clueworth's keeping him out of the team. I think that says a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, I would say Pascal Clueworth is our most consistent defender. You know, mm. you can always depend on him at the moment. He, he, for a young lad, he, he's a fantastic defender. And as you say, I think there may be teams high up the pyramid looking at him at the moment because he's going to be a, a star of the future, I think. And hopefully, we can climb up the ladder. He can climb up the ladder with Rexon. And uh, talking of Rexon, there's a little documentary coming out on, well, it would have been yesterday when now you listen to this. So after this, we're going to talk about Welcome to Wrexham. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, Welcome to Wrexham as on the 25th in Wrexham, I believe, isn't it? In Wrexham, yeah. in, in, in uh, the UK. It, it's still absolutely crazy to me. And even as a part of the media team, we get to see, we've seen a lot of the, you know, documentary crew up and down the place. It's still bizarre to me, Neil, that there's a world, there's like a Hollywood documentary being made about our club and our town. It, it, it sort of pinch yourself stuff, isn't it? Absolutely crazy, mad, whatever you want to call it. You know, to think that, our hometown, our football club, is getting aired all over the world. Billboards all over the world with our name on it. Um, I think I saw somebody saying we've got 143,000 Twitter followers at the moment, I think, on Wrexham. And they expect it's going to go well over a million after this uh, the documentary comes out, you know. And it's, it's just crazy. We're just a small North Wavian club, which has been my club all my life. Um, and it's just still like a fairy tale, you know, that these two guys are coming, taking over our club, produced a documentary to say they've been around the club for months and months filming, filming for this documentary. We've seen them about the club. Um, and yeah, it's going live on, on, on Thursday. And they're both over on Saturday to watch the game. And they're here, obviously, because of the, the opening performance of the, of the film. So, um, yeah, it's, it's massive for the town. It's massive for North Wales. Uh, a massive, huge for Wrexham Football Club. But again, it'll put a lot more of the opposition fans against us, you know, because we've got this documentary. So we're up there for the taking all the time. You know, it's their cup final. That's the only thing that uh, is the negative side of it, that they come to Wrexham thinking this is our cup final, uh, showing what we can beat them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's hope it, that doesn't work too many times this season. Um, <laughs> Mark, it... I was looking on Twitter and I've been seeing these videos of Hulu on Hulu of a Wrexham bus that's traveling around parts of America and people are kicking like these felt footballs onto like a Velcro dart dartboard and like people from America with American accents knowing and talking about Wrexham. It, it's strange, isn't it? It's strange, but it's wonderful, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I find this terribly exciting because. It's. I, I don't think this has been done before. This idea of, I mean, obviously clubs have been taken over by people who put money into them, obviously. Obviously clubs have been taken over by people who have no link to those clubs. I mean, you know, with, with the best will in the world, I suspect the Glazers weren't wandering around the Everglades in Man United shirts. Uh, although I believe that that is one of the main heartlands for Man United fans. Because Manchester isn't. Sorry, bit of a joke from the nineties there. And, <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's brilliant that they've come along and they are basically turning celebrity into currency, aren't they? So obviously they're putting their own money in, but they're also happy to to use their celebrity and the fact you can be linked with them to draw money in. I mean, TikTok 
Look at Bill's shirts, those of you watching on video. TikTok. And Neil's actually, I beg your pardon. TikTok sponsor Wrexham. Nobody else. Yeah. No other football team is sponsored by TikTok. Just us. Expedia are sponsored two British football teams. Wrexham and Liverpool. It's ludicrous. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's mad, isn't it, really? And th- neither of those companies would, would come near us were it not for the celebrity factor. And I just love the way they're, yeah, they're, t- they're monetizing their celebrity to, to put us out there. And that's what this documentary what, is, isn't it? Sorry. What's nice, Mark, as well, is they actually love the football club. They love yeah. the community, you know? Mm. They're not in it for the just for the money like the Glazers are, and they're going to rip yeah. all the money out of the club. But they're there because they've got passion for the football club now, which is it's great, you know. And I don't think I think it's very unique. Mm. I don't think any other foreign owners have come into a football club apart from maybe Abramovich for Chelsea. But um, and actually love the place that they've actually bought, you know, and the town and the football club. Hundred percent, mm. yeah. And, and I think it's. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say. I was going to say, Bill. Uh, I was going to say, Bill. It is, it is a huge thing for the football club, but for the wider Wrexham area, how do you think this could impact us as people? It's it's going to be huge, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people talk, uh, you know, years ago when Swansea got into the Premier League, I remember seeing interviews with locals at the time about how much uh, that benefited and helped regenerate the, the areas, particularly around the ground with, the, you know, the increase of interest in Swansea as a city, but the city as a whole. I mean, we're going to have that impact without even having to get to the Premier League yet. Uh, it's it's <laughs> kind kind of kind of crazy, really, that we we're gonna we're going to definitely see an increase in tourism into the town. There's going to be people who, both locally and from outside of the area, who are gonna who are gonna now want to take a punt on some of those empty shops and empty uh, uh, storefronts and and res- potential restaurants and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, it time times are really tough for people, but it could actually bring a bit of of a uh, money to the town, which is is you know, considering everything that's going on, is is uh, a, a massive bonus for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, massive. Football's huge for morale, isn't it, Mark? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and it isn't just that. I mean, I was in town today, and there was a film crew wandering around. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing. But, you know, nobody's really batting an eyelid. Normally, if you see a t- TV crew in Wrexham, well, you know, say three years ago, you'd be, ooh, what are they up to? Don't care. There's always TV crews wandering around Wrexham now. And there is a good positive buzz about it. These businesses who are doing things, referencing the club. Uh, that's great. That's all this little residual sort of, a, you know, rippling effect of other business, you know, businesses in Wrexham being able to take advantage of the club's success and then maybe make a bit of money for themselves. That's that's great. That that it's positive and it's it's building up the community. We've got the bid for the leveling up funds for the gateway project, mm. which the club are, are pushing hard. Uh, you know uh, that's going to benefit Wrexham, not just the club. Uh, and and so there's all these ways it helps the town itself. It's, I mean, it's it's terrific. But I think it all comes back to what Neil said, doesn't it? Really, that he. You know, people ask me sometimes, people from like other clubs when they come to the race course and about, oh, what the heck's going on? Or even people in Wrexham, you know, some people have quite odd ideas about it. And I get that because it's an odd idea, isn't it? Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney buying Wrexham. So I get why some people are really bemused by it. But, you know, when you, when you see their enthusiasm, when, you, when you're watching it regularly, you can see that they're loving it. They're absolutely loving it. And yeah, it's not a Glazers thing coming in and, and, and drawing money out. Uh, they are genuinely loving it. I, somebody asked me, like, oh, I suppose when they get in the Football League, then they'll start making money for themselves out of the TV money. Well, no. They know full well they're going to come in and make a loss on this. This is fun for them, isn't it? As they said in their original pitch, they're going to come in, uh, write some checks and have fun. And that is exactly- I think... For for someone who makes the kind of money that Ryan Reynolds does for playing Deadpool, I don't think a couple hundred thousand from the football league deal is going to make a big you know difference to his yeah. wallet, is it really? Well, yeah, and that touches on the other thing which I've heard people say cynically, which is they're only doing it because they'll get publicity from the documentary. Now, you know, pardon me for stating the obvious. So it works the way around. I think it. Yeah, you know. Rex and get the publicity from what they're doing, basically, rather than doing it for themselves. 
Yeah. And, you know, I can imagine in a few years' time, there'd be like hundreds of Japanese tourists taking up with the cameras, you know. <laughs> I can see that in Wrexham happening, you know, like yeah. you see around London. We'll buy Tommy Yasu from Arsenal to boost the shirt sales. And we get, <laughs> you know, and we'd be laughing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, isn't it? Rob and Ryan are not r- desperately jumping onto the shirt tails of Wrexham so that they can boost their income. <laughs> you know, let's be honest, as you say, Neil, this is done for us as part of a strategy to make us other people around the world's other, the second favourite team. team. You know, um, the you, you, Bill was mentioning the Final Whistle podcast. Over the last couple of months, 20% of listeners have been from the US and Canada to that. Wow. That's a direct way to keep in touch. Oh, I beg your pardon. And also that's the feed that this is on as well. Because, so you know, one in five listeners, probably to this then, are from North America, which is brilliant. Wow. And we welcome you, and I hope you enjoy the ride, because they want they need ways to find out about the club and what's going on. Um, it's it, it, it's ludicrous to suggest that Ryan Reynolds um, for oh, what could make me famous? A documentary. He doesn't <laughs> need that, you know, folks. And, and as a Rob McElhenney, the creator of the longest-running non-cartoon sitcom in the history of American television, who a fortnight ago was was filling in as a late-night chat show host, which is the big solo job in American TV. Yeah, don't worry about Rob. He's he's going to be okay. He doesn't need this documentary to succeed. It's it's for us, isn't it? It's part of a business strategy, and it's I've got to say a brilliant one. Yeah. I 100% agree in it. And I think another point I like to make is if they make money out of us too, brilliant. I want them to make money. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, w- we want the club to be extremely profitable. And another fact I'd like to say, just to finish it off, really, is one point I don't think many people are speaking about. I think having a strong Wrexham football club up North Wales, it's going to be fantastic for Welsh football in general in the future. You know, we're going to be, we're going to have better scouting facilities. We're going to be able to see, hopefully, competing with Swansea and Cardiff and having stronger teams climb the ladder in, in, for Wales is just going to be good for Welsh football as a whole, isn't it? So, yeah, long may it continue. I've got to say as well, I mean, yeah, we've got Gressford, the, the upgrade of that, that's now a major high-quality trading centre. And... Also, okay, um, please, any South Walian listeners, don't throw your shoe at whatever you're listening to this on. But um, I quite like the idea that maybe North Wales might, because we are getting attention, get a bit of a better deal. Mm. South Wales, you know, a lot of money is... The, the funding that comes out of into Wales is generally focused in the South, and I know it's more populous than the North, I accept that. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry... Uh, all of a sudden, people want to jump on the bandwagon and be seen with Wrexham, with Robin Ryan's club. And hopefully and, that might actually encourage a bit of funding to, or support to come our way from Cardiff as well. And some Welsh international football games would be nice as well. Right. Yeah. In North Wales, when we get the new cop stand built. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I've got a really weird pet hate that I hope this documentary sort of cures in that Wales is sort of seen as one homogenous blob of the the little the little rugby <laughs> you're right Matt. Well, this is on a, on on a nineteen seventies pro Wrexham program mug <laughs> darn you Graham Whittle might be looking <laughs> well may, may, maybe Graham Whittle's getting angry before I make my point but uh, <laughs> you know we're, we're sort of Wales seen as one homogenous blob of of look you, with the, the little rugby mining dwarfs on the other side of England and we all sound like we're from Cardiff or the valleys or whatever and you know the amount of times even from Welsh people and I know it's just one of those things but when you get oh you don't sound like you're Welsh it's like well we're from Wrexham we've got a Wrexham accent Wrexham's in Wales we sound Welsh it's yeah you know, we're finally we're finally going to have some Rex Maxons on a, on a on a major sort of uh, television production, you know, and and we've got us. There's there's the Gwynedd region, there's uh, South West Wales, Mid Wales. All this we're such a diverse country with completely different cultures, and it is really nice that we're finally going to get a bit of exposure to our area that people are going to see that, and hopefully maybe the rest of the UK might appreciate a little bit more what we're about rather than just, not that there's anything wrong with South Wales, but we're, we're not exactly like them. We're our own thing. Yeah. Well, 
don't talk so much about exposing your area because that's not that time to show. But... <laughs> 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 watch the video version, don't worry. This is Saturday, as long as you to... <laughs> <laughs> a clean sheet on Saturday. Man. Oh, no, don't remind me of that. that was, yeah, I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Um, <laughs> I, I have the same pet peeve there as you, Bill. It always drives me nuts. You watch like uh, uh, quiz shows on TV and they'll say, uh, on the chase today, Stephen from Hounslow, Jim from Stevenage, Gary from Woking, and Thomas from Wales. <laughs> Wales is bigger than those places. It's narrow it down a bit. But that always happens. It drives me nuts. So I absolutely yeah. agree. I I completely agree with Bill as well. That was beautifully put. Um, but yeah, just to wrap this little segment off, I think this is the most international story since that man tried to get the pony on the train. It wrecked some general station. So. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know which one's more important to the town because they're both very important stories, to be fair. When, when that man tried to get the pony on the train, that was It generated something. a lot of tourism, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It got on to half, I got news for you. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the man. After this, hey. uh, after this, um, we got a little interview of Luke Young. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Hello, hi. Um, not bad. Uh, I'm still getting over Dover. But, <laughs> uh, picking up on that, that yeah. last point there, just flipping it around a little bit. Kevin Wilkin was our manager about five, seven years ago, and he would talk about how to our opponents every game is a cup final. You know, they want to perform against mm-hmm. Wrexham. Now we're Deadpool's oil money Wrexham. You know, I mean, do you feel that on the pitch? Do you get that sense of there's a particular desire to beat us, or or is it just people who are professionals and playing? That's not really the case. Um, yeah, you could probably look at it from from both sides. I think mm-hmm. as a professional, you want to go out and win every game, no matter whether you're playing. I don't know, a team three leagues above you, a team three leagues below you, if it's a friendly and in-house game, mm-hmm. training game, you, you want to be on that winning team and that's just a part and parcel of being a professional and, and being a winner, I think. But there's no, there's no doubt, even even when you see last year, teams coming to, to certainly our place and getting men behind the ball and making it hard and making it compact and ultimately saying to us, try and break us down if you can. And... At times it happened, at times it didn't, but more often than not it did because we've got the quality in the in the side to open teams up. But when you're getting nine, ten men behind the ball at any level, it's mm. it's difficult to break down at times. It's, it, you need to be patient, especially with the ball, and not force things. And eventually things will open up. And like like I've just said, then we've got the players in the team to for that, that split second where the opposition switch off, going for the kill. And I think the long. The longer we, the longer teams stay in games against us, I think the the more confidence they get to maybe nick it. It could frustrate us. You never know. But I think as long as we're patient, as long as we keep doing the right things, we, we'll get chances. Whether we score in the first minute or the ninetieth minute to win the game, we certainly saw that last year. We never give up. And sometimes it works for us. Sometimes it don't. But there's certainly going to be a lot of times this year, probably home and away, where teams are going to. Sit beyond, sit beyond the ball and, and try and make it hard for us. But that's what what we're gonna we're gonna come to expect now with everything that's going on around us. And something that we're I think well equipped to deal with because if a team really does park the bus, mm. there's players like yourself and Jordan who can hit the ball from distance. They've got to come out to you, and then that disrupts their yeah. defensive block. So we, we're well equipped to break through in lots of different ways. Even, is... Yeah, eventually teams, are, you're going to get that first time where someone switches off, that they sit a little bit off, you a little bit too deep maybe. Mm. And then like you say, you, you get your shots off in the edge of the box, sometimes they fly on top corner, sometimes they don't, but it's picking the right time to shoot and picking the right time to pass. And there's we've also got like that threat from, from set plays as well, from corners, from throw-ins. We scored numerous goals from that last season and that's certainly going to be the case this year with a lot of aerial power and strength in there to to certainly try and mix the game up. It's not always going to be pretty on the eye and you've got open teams up by making 15, 20 passes a game. It, you might get in with that one long ball over the top and we've got the players at the, at the top to, to finish it. It might, be, it might be a quiet game and 
all of a sudden bang you go one you go one nil up or you go set play bang win one nil they're as good as winning three or four nil so we've certainly got a lot of ways to win the game it's making sure that we try and as players out on that pitch pick the right opportunities pick the right choices and then and, and try and overcome what obstacles are going to be put in front of us and you get a lot of you create a lot of chances from set plays and I think often fans look at you know, somebody who'll rip in some amazing corner that drops, you know, un- un- unmissable. But you're a nice illustration, I think, of if you keep putting balls in the right position for players to attack, and those players are good enough, yeah. then you will create chances. I mean, it helps that Aaron Hayden can fly. But, you know, <laughs> but, I mean, it, I, I just, you're very good at putting the ball in just in those <laughs> correct areas, and you must have great confidence in knowing that if I'm able to do that part of the job, yeah. then Ollie or Aaron or Ben or someone like that's going to get on the end of it. We've always got a chance of any set piece even from, say, the halfway line. Yeah, yeah. From my point of view, taking corners that I certainly obviously took a few last year, and obviously if, if I play it this year, I'd more than likely will will take it this season as well. And when like you say, when you have got that them players in the box that want to attack the ball and want to get on the end of the ball to to not only score themselves but to score for the team. I know that I like you say, I have just got to put it in area. I've not got to try and whip the hell out of it and put so much pace on it that I overhit it or I underhit it. It's just a case of not just flowing it in there but just kind of hitting an area. And as long as the lads know that the area that I'm hitting with certain certain signals, certain whatever that we work on the training pitch, then as long as I do my job, it's then their job to get in the mission, put it, put the ball in the back and they'll get their head on it. Look, I don't always get it right. The lads always don't get it right. You get blocked, you get fouled, pulled, etc, etc. But nine times out of ten, if you're putting the ball in the area for the lads to attack, no, the, the lads that we've got here are going to get on the end of it. Defenders, striking the first, whoever that might be. And one last question. Um, it's a good job you got that good as camaraderie in the changing room because I was thinking last Saturday when we played Macclesfield, we got a free kick right on the edge of the area <laughs> and commentators and I said, well, Jordan Davis isn't here, so was, you know, Luke's going to be on. And then I looked at all these other players all queuing up. Yeah, and yeah. Tom took it in the yeah. end. Paul Mullen didn't even get involved in conversation, <laughs> astonishingly. I mean, wow, we got so many players. So free kicks on the edge of the box and those sort of dangerous areas. There's so many good strikers with their ball. Yeah. It's quite something, isn't it? Yeah, we have, yeah. You, when, you, when you've got that, that, that amount of players that are confident enough to take it and put their name forward and have the ability to actually strike the ball like really well and, and get it up and over the wall, around the wall, wherever they decide to go. It's good to have that many options, right footers, left footers. Some people might prefer to drive it or like whip it. So we've got we've got a lot of options for, for certain free kicks and it's again it's picking the right one, isn't it? Like if somebody fancies it then by all means take it. It's whoever whoever wants it, whoever's confident enough to take it on the day. By all means, can take it. It's not. There's no pecking order of who takes it, who's not. There's no getting away from the amount of free kicks that Jordan scored last year. So you look at it as if to say he's probably at the top of the pecking order because he he backed it up with with scoring a, a a numerous amount of free kicks. So, but we've got we've got a lot of players now that are going to put their name forward and hopefully we can make get the right decision on the pitch to. Maybe to get the ball in the back of the net. Well, I'm still going to put a thousand quid on tonight that you get that gold to see the trophy <laughs> back. So never mind packing all. You have that armband. You got to no, pull rank. Right. Come on. I don't know. I don't use it like <laughs> that. Like like people with no, no mortgage money's going on. <laughs> no, everybody's in it for the for the same reason. So it's whoever fancy on the day. Yeah. I'm Harry Lennon, and this is Dragon Heart. Well, we just heard from Luke Young there. Bill, how important is he to this team? Um, well, he's our captain. So for starters, he's automatically, you know, really important, even if he's not playing, uh, just for, for his influence that he has on the on the, the dressing room. But I think he he's... You know, the, when you listen to ex-pros or current pros talking about what it means to be a captain... Uh, a lot of them seem to say that there's there's actually different types of captains and you'll have some that uh, are vocal, some that will, uh, you know, they, they sort of lead by uh, being, just by being, the, simply by being the best player on, on, in the squad. 
Luke Young is not necessarily vocal or the best player in the squad, but what he does is he leads by example and every single game he gives 100%. Even when he's not had the best of games, there is you cannot fault his effort. And I know for a lot of people that's not necessarily enough to be a, a player in a, in a, you know, a title uh, challenging squad. But I mean, his effort was missed sorely against Chesterfield and, you know, Really, he he is he is one of the very key parts of our squad, isn't he, Neil? Definitely so. I, I mean, I've I've been singing his praises for the last two seasons. I think he's a, a key to our cog in our on our big machine. Basically, you know, if, if he's not playing, I don't think the midfield functions as well because, as you say, the effort he puts in. One minute he'll be up attacking, then the next minute he's back defending. Um, I mean, he's been berated by fans for, for the last couple of seasons and I, I don't understand where they come from because I think he's one of our unsung heroes of the team, to be honest. He's, he's a nice chap as well. Um, but yeah, he always pulls in, puts in a full shift on, on that pitch. And I'm sure somebody said that stats, he always covers about two kilometres more than any other player on that pitch. Yeah. Wow. It, it does not surprise me the work rate he's... He turns in. Uh, but I was listening to the Rob Ryan Red podcast, Dean Keats, and he mentioned Luke Young, and he said he's just a model professional. And it's Mark, it's so important, you know, to have your Mavericks, to have your people who are a bit off the cuff, but it's also really important to have your, your true model professionals for, you know, the likes of Chloe Worth, Ryan Austin, these young lads coming up to look at someone like him and think, that's how you should be. Absolutely right. And it's interesting because Bill's right talking about types of captain. Um, but I think some players' influence is different on the crowd than it is on the team as well. Because, you know, players like Mullen or Palmer, for example, who aren't shy of rousing the crowd, uh, are obviously big characters, like you say. But I think that Young is vocal on the pitch. He just doesn't appear to be because he's not going to be somebody who'll run and pump the crowd up but uh, you know on the pitch itself I think he's a, a big strong character uh, early on as a captain he went toe to toe with Kyle Storer of Solly Hull a player who likes to boss referees and opponents around and Young wasn't having any of it and he went straight toe to toe with him um, he ended up as well was it against Woking at home on the floor having a sort of half fight with one of their players um, so he's got that strong personality. I just love what Neil alluded to as well. Um, a year ago, he was getting all sorts of complaints about, oh, why is he captain? Toza should be captain. And, uh, you know, when they made Toza club captain and, and young actual captain, you know, some people saying, see, that shows Parkinson hasn't got faith in him, which was nonsense. Um, and people were questioning his place in the team, and I couldn't comprehend that at all. And look now, where, as we are saying, you know, an awful lot of people are putting down the Chesterfield misfire down to the fact that Young was rotated out because he's indispensable. Um, I think that says everything you need to know about about the value of the bloke. But he's, he's as Neil said, he's a smashing fella as well. He's a, he's a real ambassador for the club in a, in a nice, quiet way, but he really is. Uh, he's excellent on set pieces. I mean, goodness me, his corners on Saturday were terrific, but that's just consistent with what he does. He's, he's terrific on set pieces, and as we heard in the interview, he's going to get that goal of the season trophy back in this season, I hope. <laughs> oh, Jordan yeah. Davis is in the lead at the moment, isn't he? That left footer against Maidstone yeah. was a beauty. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And Luke Young a very important part of our team. Let's hope he gets that first goal. He didn't score last season, did he? No, weird. No, so, for, yeah, considering how much of a goal scorer he was previously, so I think that shows how much he's evolved in his game as well. So, yeah, all eyes on Woking now. Can uh, I give you a short, weird theory about why Young didn't score last season? Go on. Because for the first time in his Wrexham career, when he got into those 25 yards, 30-yard out positions, he actually had good options and good players to pass it to instead of having a pop because you know I'd nearly name names then some some players who have been an option a couple of years ago probably weren't worth passing so you might as well just have a blast I don't think he would consciously really think that but you know what I mean when you get the ball those positions and Mullins peeling off his man he's not immediately thinking I'll smash this he's thinking I'll find Mullins 
Well, it's a percentages game, isn't it, Mark? Because, you know, what's the percentage chance of shooting from X amount of yards? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here he is. <laughs> Wesley's joined us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what's what's the percentage chance of, of scoring from a certain distance yeah. uh, versus passing to a player who has got a very good strike rate mm. or, pa- or passing to a player who hasn't got a very good strike rate? So... I think especially pa- Parkinson's teams completely are are their sort of percentage side, aren't they? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, this is the cue for the end of the podcast for for the <laughs> for the audio <laughs> listeners only. My son's bedtime is just approaching. He has joined the video podcast. Yeah, uh, it, it ain't over till a cute baby sings. Yeah, <laughs> or screams. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, all eyes on Wilkin. Uh, big game on Saturday, Mark. It's, it should be a t- tough one. They've improved a lot. Um, yeah. So this has been Mark, Neil, and Bill, and this has been Dragonheart and Wesley. And oh, and Wesley. Yeah. Don't let me forget Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Dragonheart.